and good afternoon, hello, good morning, and welcome to yet another edition of the Castle Bridge podcast. This month, I'm not coming to you from a lay-by by this side of the road, but we have uh, Catherine, Owen, and Josh from the team on today to talk about vaccine certificates and vaccine passports and the various uh, data protection, data privacy, data ethics and fundamental data governance challenges uh, that these sorts of proposed technologies raise. Uh, Catherine. Yeah, we're very happy to have Josh on the uh, podcast this afternoon. Uh, Josh has been doing research into uh, some of the various issues around the potentials of what we might be calling vaccine passports or vaccine certificates. And he will be writing a blog post on this as well. So you can check that out on the website uh, shortly as well. Uh, so, Josh, uh, what are some of the uh, things that you have been uh, looking into? What are people talking about when they start talking about vaccine passports? Thanks, Catherine. Uh, so, this uh, we're finding that the term itself is quite loaded. That what we actually mean, though, in the simplest form, a vaccine passport is like a certificate. It's just a record of vaccination. And typically, historically, this has always been done um, with a piece of paper, a batch number, a medical record, whether you got inoculated for school, if you're traveling to one of, to a country that requires a yellow fever vaccine, that's what we've usually meant. Lately, and it's part of this um, dynamic interplay between COVID-19 and 2021 solutions, is what we really, when people refer to vaccine passports, they're talking about a digital form of this and a digital record that can be shown and accessed via a smartphone. Um, and that all of it, this has a couple of advantages. Simply put, um, you know, the, there already is a growing market for falsified vaccine authentic, authentications and certificates. So we're seeing that already growing up. And this should be easier to prove. You can't lose it. Clear chain. And you know that if you've been vaccinated, you should have rights to go to more places, as we're already seeing in Ireland. Um, how are we meant to prove who's been vaccinated and where? If the guard show up at your home and all of a sudden there's a house party, but you say, no, we've all been vaccinated, we're allowed to do that now, how exactly does one go about the proof? Um, one option would simply be to have a record on your phone that allows you to do that. And as countries open up a bit more um, and open up to one another, this might become a more important factor. Okay, so we've got a broad range here. Uh, definitely when it comes to international travel, I think when it comes to the Irish government right now, when they talk about vaccine passports, they're primarily looking at uh, you know, verified certification for international travel. So for Ireland, that's where the official line seems to be right now. We're definitely seeing differences globally there. Um, so uh, what, 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 what have other people seen there? Well, I mean, from my own perspective, I mean, all this is hyped up because people want to go to the pub. They want to get, they want something on their phone and they walk up to the pub and they go, here, I've got it. Let me in. That's all people are thinking of. So if you look at it from that perspective, how long is that going to be available? I just want to dash everyone's hopes here. If the pubs, uh, if this is useful, the pubs will will use it for four weeks, um, at which time they will stay open or they will close again because there's more COVID everywhere. 
there's no use for it in, in, in that context. It will constitute a massive data grab for no reason. So then you're into the, the whole idea of people wanting to travel. And has this not been done before? I mean, I went to Kenya a while ago. Jeez, I have more injections than you, you could swing a cat at. And it's just a little yellow book. You don't need a, an app, app or anything like that. You just put out your arm, you get on with it, and uh, they tick a few boxes. So the idea that you need an app is just... Just just clarify for me, are, are you for or against this idea? Um, <laughs> I, I, I agree with you completely. Okay, from my perspective, you, you all know me on the team. That's okay. All right, I, I, I'm going to mute myself for a bit here. We can edit that bit out. So you all know me on the team. I like technology. I like data stuff. I like innovation. But I'm also really interested in whether there is a value for money return on investment for the spend. And if you're going to spend money on something, is there a better way you could have spent that money? Way back, this time last year when we were looking at um, temperature scanning apps for getting into buildings, I had a very simple mantra. If I have 500 euros to spend, I'm spending it on hand sanitizer and masks, and I'm not wasting my time on a thermometer. Yeah. Yeah. This is exactly the same. For international travel, fair enough, there might be an argument for a a digital, some form of digital vaccine certification, either a way of verifying and authenticating a paper document to make sure it hasn't been forged, or a digital document. I'm agnostic to an extent on either of those. But once you get into in, in a country, once you're in the environment, Owen's absolutely right. Pubs are in favor of to open up the pubs. Then the pubs will either stay open or they will close one way or the other. If you want the pubs to stay open and you've got 850,000 euros to spend on something, and I picked that number because that's what the Irish government spent on their COVID tra- tracking app, which there's an open question about whether it actually did anything. The exposure notification app. If you if you have 850, 850 grand to spend, why not spend it on more vaccines and speeding up your vaccine rollout and on systems and processes to make the vaccine delivery more efficient? Which means that more people become vaccinated, which means you don't need to be able to prove you've had the jab because we've reached that mythical, wonderful beast of herd immunity. Yeah. At this point, we will have a database that does have a, uh, in, in Ireland, we will have a database that has a record of the vaccination that we will have received. Uh, it will be linked to our individual health identifier. Uh, it may be very sensible to have you know, interoperability with that database and some sort of national, uh, sorry, international standard token according to WHO and EU standards to ensure that there's interoperable verifications of actual vaccinations. What that token is, uh, you know, a verifiable piece of paper or a app, it needs to make sure, we need to make sure that it's available for people who don't have smartphones. So there should, there absolutely must be some sort of paper version. Um, anything further than that, we're getting less into a passport situation and more into linking uh, our very sensitive health records to potentially going, being able to access office buildings, being able to go to concerts. There, That's where we're starting getting into uh, 
potential mandatory but not compulsory uh, ability to interact in society. And that doesn't seem to be necessary or proportionate. Are you saying, Catherine, that we need to take care that the database of all the pricks, which which is the database <laughs> of all the vaccination records, uh, the, 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 the database of all the pricks, um, that we need to make sure that that doesn't become a de facto national identity card database? That and the database of all the pricks should not be available to all the pricks. Okay. Mm-hmm. Josh, Owen, what are your thoughts? And have we just become extremely controversial by labeling the vaccine re- vaccine record database as the big database of all the pricks? Well, <laughs> just, um, just on the point that, you know, all the pricks shouldn't get the database of all the pricks. It's quite a circular a lot of pricks. <laughs> just want to make that point. Sorry, Josh. <laughs> no, I just think it's worth distinguishing between the individuals who've gotten the pricks and the pricks who've gotten the pricks. And that might be how you got. So, you know, if you're one of these people who have some linkages at the Beacon Hospital, for instance, you might go on one type of prick database versus if you just received an normal case basis, you're just a recipient of prick database. But that's maybe not the key issue, although it could probably get a lot more attention and usage of this type of database than anything else. Um, the thing that you mentioned earlier, Vidara, is about spending money on the vaccines. And I think this gets like a little harder for us in the EU is that if vaccine, you can, there isn't a supply coming fast enough. An extra you know, million on vaccines is not going to bring extra vaccines when no one's delivering them at the present. So I feel like, yeah, certain countries that are ahead of us now, you, you know, a lot of countries, but if you look at world leaders, you're looking at major nations. Um, you talk about Israel at around 55 to 60% of people got at least one vaccine. The UK around that 50% mark as well. And the US about 33%. You, you could see a situation where, okay, this is going to be like really short lived. But if we get stuck into a situation where, you know, we are struggling to actually get enough vaccines and it's going to, it's dragging on, through the summer into winter again, you could see this vaccine passport system not have been a waste of money, but been like a really contentious issue in people's lives where, yeah, pubs are still open around Christmas time, but only 40% of the population get can actually go to that pub. And yeah. the question of who actually gets to go is going to be incredibly upsetting to people. Um, and, you know, just how they came about that right. I feel yeah, one of the... So, but doesn't it come back to the fact that, like, ultimately, we're talking around the fact that we just need to get a vaccine? <laughs> yes, but I think one of the points Josh had there is applicable not only just looking at Ireland, but applicable globally. When we're looking at hoarding of vaccines and you know, getting a you know, stockpiling vaccines in some countries uh, while still rolling them out, and you know, particularly in poorer nations. Yeah. They're not being the ability to access vaccines. So, uh, you know, again, if we have this extra bucket of cash and we have regular, if slower than we would prefer, supply of vaccines to us, maybe that extra bucket of cash should be going to ensuring more global vaccine equity because the variants that will happen in, in those countries will eventually, you know, potentially develop into variants that our vaccines won't catch. And then we'll have to go through another cycle of needing a vaccine update for a variant that uh, you know, needs a different uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, vaccine uh, top-up type of a situation. 
looking at this from a purely curmudgeonly data governance and information <laughs> supply chain perspective, there are three basic scenarios we need to be looking at here. There is vaccine registration uh, and, uh, and registering to get the vaccine and the process of getting the jab in the arm from starting that process to deliver, delivering that process. There's the process of monitoring vaccine delivery to make sure we know who's gotten what vaccines and that if there are any negative uh, clinical outcomes identified, that we can identify the cadre of people who have had that particular batch of that particular vaccine so we can monitor them and make sure that uh, any clinically adverse events are being tracked and managed. And again, from a pure data point perspective, everyone freaking out about four people in a million having a suspicious clotting event. I really hope no one looks at the warnings on the back of a contraceptive pill. Um, data needs to be looked at in context when you're assessing risk people. Um, but the third scenario then is, is this vaccine password of, of, of a tool and a certificate for access to things. Uh, crossing borders, it's done. You, you're protecting the mass population. Yeah. And it's a thing. The question is, is paper better than digital? Is digital better than paper? There are arguments either side. Josh, you, you, you hit on the topic of secondary uses of the data. You, when you start filtering to identify which pricks got what prick but, and but why. Before, before, um, you, before you go into secondary uses, I mean, there can, there, I, do, I do think there's a, there's a legitimate use in terms of work um, in certain, and it does get tricky because, okay, crossing borders is one thing um, and you want to contain the population, but you could be in a workplace where it could be an absolute disaster if it starts spreading around. And, it, you know, it's one of these workplaces where you have to all congregate. So a hospital is the obvious one. But, I mean, there are other workspaces, maybe technicians or something like that. Everyone Meat has plants. to be together in it. In it. What? Meatpacking facilities. Well, whatever. Yeah, whatever. I mean, you just, you, like, it, it's, you, it may be really, really valid to have some kind of pass or something like that that says, look, I got the job, I should be okay. But it doesn't it, it doesn't necessarily mean you need to have it on your phone and it needs to be supplied by Google, who'll just kind of sap every piece of information mm -hmm. off you and then do you on insurance policy 30 years down the line. And that, that also gets into various workplace rights questions as well. Um, you know, while, while having a, you know, uh, uh, proof of vaccination uh, may be very helpful there. Uh, how will that end up balancing against uh, the ability to say, I'm not feeling well, I need to not come into work? You know, there's a lot of complexities when you, uh, you know, add those factors in also. It's not likely this is going to last mm -hmm. for I mean, well, hopefully. Is it going to last another 12 months? I mean, we, <laughs> I was kind of hoping it wouldn't last this this long. But I mean, it, it, like it could be just a short term thing that we do in relation to a certain job that you will be it will be allowable for employers to say, look, you're going to do us all if we, if we, if we don't uh, have some kind of verification of it. And that's the key point. There are certain jobs and certain roles today where you have to be able to produce evidence of vaccination. If you're a surgeon, you have to have your vaccine card up to date. And if you don't, you don't mm. get to operate. Yeah, yeah. And if you do operate, someone's paying out a shitload of insurance and indemnity later. <laughs> people in Europe. Well, I think that sounds like un, un, ident, uh, unindemnifiable. <laughs> that becomes <laughs> an I, unindemnifiable risk. Um, but the 
the key point is assuming a pandemic is a short-lived thing, you invest in the technology to do these things. Where do we draw the line on the technology, on, on the use of this sort? Once you accept the principle that you have to have a digital pass showing you've had certain inoculations to go to the pub or go to the cinema. I have no problem with my friend who's a surgeon having to have a vaccine record because he's a surgeon. It's like me having to have a driver's license to drive a vehicle or have a particular category of insurance to drive a company car. But if we're saying you have to have a certain badge to get into access certain things, where do we draw the line? Once the pandemic is over, what are the conditions for determining the pandemic is over? First of all, same question we have for, for exposure notification apps. But also, when do we start saying, We'd like to put the gingers in a different section of the arena for the concert because if we get all the gingers together, we, we can just put a roof over it and brick them up and it'll be fine. Uh, or how do we, do we say we're not going to let gingers go to concerts? I have a personal stake in this. Yeah, uh, yeah it's just, it's, it seems like a unique uh, point to bring up. Yeah, I know. Go on. I, I, I'm just picking it as an example for no apparent reason. Do we discriminate against gingers? Because I, I, we, we understand discrimination and exploitation as a people. Uh, left-handed gingers in particular. <laughs> And the, the, the concert example is an interesting one because, of course, the various bright ideas people have had uh, end up with inter potential interoperability and uh, you know, access to various databases. So do we really want Ticketmaster to have a line into mm. a uh, you know, access on medical records, yeah. um, even if it's simply the re record of whether one has been vaccinated or not? I, I did a webinar for one of our clients uh, two weeks ago. Uh, one of our smart cities clients where they were actually talking with the technology company about design challenges for this type of thing for smart spaces post pandemic and i just asked the question what's the booking system what's the process for booking tickets for an event if you're booking for for more than one person does the person making the booking have to provide all the details about vaccine certification at the time of booking before you pay for them or if when you turn up at the event or, or if after the event, does each individual get an email going, please give us your details so we can make sure you're able to come to the event. Yeah. And if up to the point you go to the event, there's some problem where you can't go, do you get a refund? Yeah. And what happens if you decide to gift your, if you're buying tickets as a gift for someone? All of these usability scenarios we need to think through if we're gonna make these a barrier to entering uh, stuff. When I, when I spoke to the client about it, one of the people on the co on the webinar, the comment was, oh, shit, we had never thought of that. And they're a large sporting venue. Yeah. And as well, the, I mean, the only way like the only way you can verify is when you're walking in, you can say, look. <laughs> so are vaccine certificates and vaccine, vaccine passports the equivalent of white trainers in nightclubs in the early 90s? Old? That's the question. <laughs> what, really cool? Really cool. <laughs> she was lived. Bad idea. <laughs> and once again, it, we always have to come back to what are we actually talking about when we say vaccine passports? Because if we just mean a uh, international standard certificate for crossing borders, that's a lot more reasonable than trying to figure out whether we need some sort of biometric identification to go to a concert or to get in the pub. Mm. Yeah, and um, I think the key thing for me is from a data point of view, there are still some unknowns. We mm -hmm. don't know how long vaccines are effective for. Mm -hmm. We don't know how long vaccines will re reduce transmission for. Until we have that data, 
it's very hard to define policies around when you, how long a vaccine passport should be valid for, and that's a challenge. Yeah. Well, it comes back to including other data. So when the European Commission suggested such a travel passport for current travel within the EU, um, the idea was very much that it wouldn't just include um, vaccine records, but ability to prove either you've had a negative COVID test, which is common practice now, or that you have some type of immunity because you have had COVID um, in the past. And this is, again, if you have not just, the, we might have a limited amount of vaccines, but we are doing a lot better with testing. And that's a much more, you know, that's a system that we all sort of accept at the moment. You're avoiding that type of frustration of, yeah, you know, my group is next up and we just need the next million batches of vaccines to come through so I can live my life again versus I can get myself tested regularly or, or you know, if you have a really, really bad ideas in mind, do a chicken pox type of COVID party variant and you know, just get it <laughs> and add it to your immunity. That's there ain't the, no party just, like the way, COVID party. Um, yeah, exactly. I think Edgar Allan Poe wrote a, a novella about a COVID party, um, Mask of the Red Death. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. Well, I was, I mean, there was, a, I was, when I was looking up uh, articles on this, um, just prior to, to coming on, I mean, there was, I came across a couple of articles from, say, a year ago, which were all about, you know, well, if, if I've had COVID, then I should be able to, uh, you know, show a pass and go to a nightclub or whatever. And I was just like, I was looking at that again. People are just going to try and get this thing now, mm-hmm. just yeah. so they can go out. I mean, it's which is completely counterintuitive. No, no, that's the problem with it. So, the vaccine, so vaccine passports are much better idea than immunity passports because then you encourage the people to go out and just you know try and grab some coughs in the park or something. Yeah. Get it. <laughs> yeah. Once again, what you measure changes behavior, and that's. The- always been a uh, you know, factor of uh, human nature and uh, be careful what you re- demand measurement of. <laughs> so uh, kind of just to kind of wrap up the discussion at this point, guys, one of the things that the, Simon McGar uh, from uh, McGar Solicitors was quite vocal during the uh, rollout of the exposure notification apps about the fact that these are all social projects, right? We're in an interesting space now where technology projects and data projects at this scale are actually social projects. Uh, um, technology projects have always been social projects, as the Luddites will tell you, as in the original Luddites would tell you. <laughs> um, I, I think because they're social projects, I think the key question, is it, is it fair to say that the key question we need to answer as we're looking at these is what sort of society do you want to have? after COVID. And in framing that question, I'm going to ask you, well, have you seen the movie Gattaca? Long time ago. Long time ago, yeah. Um, Gattaca is a fantastic movie about gingers. I I, I mean, about people who don't meet a specific genetic profile, which is the the genetic profile that lets you succeed. If you have any form of disability or impairment in your your genome, you, you can't make it through the to the, the higher classes of society. And a ginger, I, I mean, someone with a, a short-sighted, okay, it was Ethan Hawke, it was a short-sighted ginger, um, stole someone else's blood to get themselves onto the ladder to climb in society. 
and it all ended horribly for everyone. Um, okay. Gore, Gore Vidal, he loved happy endings. Okay, that, that I, I I have no clue what that has to do with the COVID passports, Dara. What with these sorts of apps and technologies, once you have some sort of restriction on people progressing in society, mm. that shapes society and it creates incentives to figure out ways around it. And I think that's one thing that I'm conscious of from a data point of view is that when we're implementing these wonderful technologies. They can be foolproof, they can they can be idiot-proof, but there's always going to be a gobshite somewhere yeah. who will do something unexpected. What um, sort of society do you think we want to have? But that, that, then, that, that, that then comes back to, you know, I think it was Josh uh, brought it up, I don't know if it was before or uh, after the uh, podcast of or, or podcast, but I mean, people, you know, faking driver's licenses back in you know, back in the 90s or whatever, uh, to get into pubs. I mean, if you fake your COVID, uh, COVID passport or whatever, I mean, if uh, then we're just back to square one again. It's vaccinate everyone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, when it comes to what we're talking about with the idea of, you know, I'll, I'll say COVID, COVID uh, you know, vaccination certifications instead of passports at the moment. But what are we actually trying to do? What is the scope of what we're trying to do? What are the potential social impacts? of having this required certification in which contexts uh, you know, again with what scope uh, you know, will this uh, you know increase stigmatization will it increase discrimination uh, or will it actually help expand access to travel to social uh, you know, interaction um, and w- what are we trying to promote what are we trying to reinforce uh, are we going to end up reinforcing concentrations of power uh, and, and allowing a, uh, you know, a sneaky building of a surveillance network? Or are we going to be trying to limit this to promoting public health? And how do we do that? Well, if we knew that answer, Catherine, we'd be flogging it. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. OK, Josh, what's your thought? I mean, I think... Uh... The other side of this issue is that we are seeing an unprecedented and we're living in an unprecedented, you know, grasp of executive power throughout the world. Now, where you would if you would have named a situation in which this much basic restrictions and movement were familiar anywhere, you would think that you were living through a global war. Um, that would be the scenario. And you know, that so you could think about this a simple way of. Does this actually allow us in some form to return to start returning freedoms as opposed to, you know, everything is prohibited? So it depends what the other option is as well. There's definitely some value here. Clearly, you know, I would say, who do we trust with this? Is it governments? They don't always have the best record when it comes to keeping data. They shouldn't. Should it be private companies? They might have an even worse record in the last 20 years. So that symbiosis between, let's say, the the Googles and the US, you know, the NSA post 9-11, both of them give us, give us pause for a second. Mm-hmm. You know. that's, a really, that's a really good point. I mean, if you do put into into play something like this, I mean, you know, like all, I, I always say to clients, I mean, it's just all about you take that in, you use it, and then you have to have a really clear idea of when you're getting rid of it. So, A, if you, the, the government thing is one thing, but I mean, 
the, the people who are going to be supplying this uh, technology and they're going to be right up there knocking on uh, every government's door are these big, big corporations. And there's no way that they're doing this just because it makes people feel good. They're doing it because there's a lot of data there. That's what they deal in. And that's what they want to get out of this. There's a real, real interest in doing that. But I mean, the so whatever retention that and I do believe it. It should be a, a government uh, body that should should be in charge of this. Some kind of independent way of doing it. I'm sure some independent, transparent way of doing it. I'm sure you can you formulate it. But I mean, so they set a, re- a retention period. I mean, is it really going to be put in place by you know whatever huge uh, organization there is? I, I I think it's doubtable. But I mean, they and then I have. In terms of this kind of fake retention period, which you could put on it, I mean, you could say 12 months, you could say two years. Um, I think there has been some talk of, um, you know, kind of worldwide declaration that the pandemic is over and that might be a good time to 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 say say that you, you can do, delete all the information. But is there any reality in that? I mean, it, well, it seems like they, Europe might get get rid of it for, and on the whole for a while, but that it's just going to be endemic. It's just going to be going around the world in these little pockets for years and years to come. It is the, the difficult decision for any politician to make whether they stand on an aircraft carrier and declare mission accomplished. That worked out really well for a US president a few presidents ago. Um and you're right on it. When do we declare mission accomplished? When do we declare the pandemic over? And this is why these choices now that are being made in the heat of battle are significant social choices that need to be considered carefully. And once you have it in for some one thing, where there's always going to be scope creep. And whether it's public sector or private sector, scope creep is inevitable because ultimately public sector outsources the building to private sector. And that's the challenge. Yeah. Another question as well is, uh, you know, if we decide we are doing this, what are the behavioral impacts? So if we decide we are doing going to do, uh, you know, a, a you know, widely used certification for vaccines that is used not just for international travel but is used socially, uh, you know, the UK has suggested that it would, uh, you know, requiring a vaccine certification or passport to enter a pub would uh, you know, increase vaccine uptake. with their hopes. Uh, but there's a high likelihood that that would actually uh, you know, instead influence vaccine hesitancy because there are conspiracy minded people who don't trust the government requiring things. And it would lead so, to increase <laughs> in homebrew and tinfoil hat sales. Yes. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, the, the decisions that we make, the behavioral impacts that we are considering, we do have to uh, think about it very carefully. <laughs> It'd be pretty easy uh, choice for me, I have to say. I'd be uh, I'd be getting my vaccination and whatever certification is needed, yeah. and I'd be running out the door. And the last <laughs> thing you want to do is to have this idea make people less likely to get vaccinated, because we need to have as many people vaccinated as possible. Yeah. But it's also worth bearing in mind, we have to, any solution, any technology has to consider the entire demographic that will be required to use it. And Peter shared with us a story about a, from the BBC website, I think about it, an old guy 
uh, in the UK who was quite irate that he couldn't go into his pub to get a pint. He had to order it using an app from outside because he didn't have a smartphone. Therefore, he couldn't order a pint. Yeah. And grumpy old lads who can't get pints terrify me. Um, Fair. And as a result, we have to make sure we're designing for that edge case, just as we're, we have to design for left-handed gingers. Okay, I think we've covered a lot of ground today. Have we solved any of the world's problems, guys? No, never. I haven't mentioned the word blockchain once. We, we got through a whole discussion of vaccine certification without using the word blockchain. <laughs> Which is another solution still looking for a problem that it could actually do any good for at all. Indeed. Well, that's a rant for another day, Catherine. <laughs> <laughs>